Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Fast enough. Ramadan running. Hello, I'm Lou Taylor Muhammad, and welcome to Fast Enough Ramadan Running. Brought to you by Sports Direct, a podcast all about running during the month of Ramadan. Over this series, I'm going to be speaking to four members of the Muslim community about what it's like maintaining their fitness schedule whilst fasting and getting some top tips on how to ensure we're all looking after our minds and bodies over this month. This podcast is the perfect soundtrack if you're just setting out on an early evening run or heading to the gym. So as the sun goes down, lace those trainers up. Fast enough, Ramadan running. On this episode, my guest is Zainab Alema, a neonatal nurse, a mum of three, and of course, playing prop for the Richmond women's rugby team with an ambition to be the first black Muslim woman to pull on the white shirt for England. Zainab, Welcome to the podcast. Hello, <laughs> hello, hello, hello. I'm really excited to be here. Thank uh, you for having me. Let's talk about Ramadan. What does Ramadan look like for you? And are you quite traditional in the way you observe it? I go full traditional, no cheat days, fast. <laughs> <laughs> I fast everything from dawn to dusk. Yeah, no cheats, no water, not even water is mm. one thing that we were asked. When they say, oh, you fast during Ramadan for 30 days. What, not even water? I'm like, no, not even water. And even not if even it rains, water. You don't open your mouth to the sky. That's not allowed because, you know, yeah, okay. so uh, not even water. That, that's so. not God giving you some free hydration. <laughs> no, you got, you got to fast. Absolutely, yeah. No shortcuts. So super tra- traditional how you yeah. observe it. And is that um, something that's been passed down from your family? Is that something you've always done even before you yeah. played rugby? Absolutely. So I would say I actually started fasting probably from about eight years old. And I know that sounds really drastic, but... I would sort of do like half days or a couple of hours in a day just Mm. to sort of get... And it wasn't something that was forced upon me because actually at that age, I didn't need to fast. But because people in my family were doing it, my parents were doing it, I thought, I want to give it a go. Like I want to challenge myself. I want to try it out. So I would say I've been doing it for years and it's just, it comes to the month every, every year and it's just part of who I am and I just... You just get on with it, really. And I think a lot of it is mindset as well. Mm. Do you feel like that mindset of discipline has helped you in your sports career? Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm happy you even touched on that because I say to people that my rugby sort of journey or even playing rugby links a lot to my faith. Mm. And then when I say that, people are like, oh, like, what do you mean? How can you, you know, put Islam and rugby in the same sentence? But let me explain. You talked about discipline, right? Yes. So discipline within Islam is a big thing. Even fasting, praying, there's a lot of routines and rituals you do within Islam. And you have to be disciplined, especially living in sort of in a Western society. There's things that are like not 100% tailored towards a Muslim lifestyle. So you have to be disciplined to be able to sort of follow your faith. Um, respect. Respecting yourself, respecting community, respecting nature is a big part of Islam. Um, and then rugby... Discipline, respect, sportsmanship, um, teamwork. There's six values in rugby, which I feel like are pretty much 
hand in hand with the Islamic values. Wow. So, and even just the game itself, you step on the rugby pitch, it's like you're going to war, right? <laughs> you're, you're fighting to, to win tackles, to win the game. And with Islam, it's like you're coming together as you know, people from different communities to worship God. And with rugby, it's like you're coming together from people from different backgrounds and communities in one team to win the game. So for me, there's a lot of similarities, a lot of um, things that go hand in hand with the way I practice my faith and the way I play rugby. So actually, I feel like rugby is probably the perfect sport for me. Wow. Let's talk a bit more about rugby. And I loved how you spoke about keeping your Islamic values even in uh, living in a non-Islamic country, mm -hmm. like what we're living in now. So you're playing for Richmond now, you're playing yeah. prop, and you started at Ealing Trailfinders, which I think is an awesome name. Yeah. Interestingly enough, off the pitch, rugby has certain connotations. Mm -hmm. It's very, I would uh, say, almost synonymous with alcohol traditionally, mm -hmm. especially the old school rugby players, they're known for drinking a lot, something yeah. that is haram, not permissible yes. in Islam. Yeah. Please explain what it's like fitting into mm -hmm. an environment. You just mentioned the teamwork, the discipline. Yeah. Do you feel well supported by your teammates, even though you abstain from alcohol and there's certain things that you will not partake in? Yeah, so the sort of the women that I play with, I would say like back in university was sort of an eye-opener for me because obviously, let's paint a picture here. So I'm coming from a Muslim household background, going to university for the first time, sort of coming out for my parents' wing, if you like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I jump into university, which is, forget rugby, university in itself, people go out and just, you know. Oh, it's a madness, <laughs> yeah. And then you put in rugby, which is already has that sort of deep-rooted alcohol culture, where yeah. it's like, to go to the bar to have a pint in, of Guinness or whatever is very normal. So imagine <laughs> me being going to uni plus joining a rugby team, for me, it was like, whoa, like, you know. And actually before then, obviously being under 18s playing for childfinders mm. and Ealing, Alcohol wasn't part of it because we was obviously underage, we of couldn't course. drink. So actually going into the rugby environment at uni was like, whoa, like it opened a whole different world for me. And I think um, I would say a lot of times I found myself pulling away from my rugby peers mm. because I did like, you know, things like socials. I wouldn't, I wouldn't attend socials because a lot of it was like, oh, let's go clubbing, let's go and have a drink. I'm like, that's not really me. That's not my lifestyle. So actually it did affect me um, a little bit. And I kind of felt like, feeling a bit isolated, not being able to spend time with my teammates. And actually, there's one thing that happened that I always remember to this day. Back um, in uni, after you play a game, you have like pints, right? So play of the match, the opposition will nominate who played the best in your team. Nice. And I wanted to tweet my own home, but I used to win that quite a bit. Okay, okay, okay. We'll just say, no, <laughs> so that's I, all right. That's, that's a little I used song. to win that quite a bit back in uni. So I'll stand there, they'll be like, here's a pint down there. <laughs> And it's like a boat race. So whoever wins the pint, you know, finish the pint first wins, right? Mm. And then I'm like, well, I can't drink this. They're, okay, nominate someone. And I'll try and nominate someone. Maybe that person doesn't want to drink. And it's not even for them, it's for me. Yeah. So then I was put in this awkward position time and time again, standing up, rejecting the pint. It kind of felt a bit embarrassing, kind of felt a bit awkward. Like, and I never actually told them, I'm Muslim, I don't drink. Okay. I, do you get what I mean? Because I kind of felt like I already, I was different. Yeah. because of my colour, because of the fact that I was Muslim. Yeah. The fact that I didn't drink on top of that, I felt that if I admitted that to them, it would, it would ostracise me even more. What are you like with that now? Oh, now it's that... a whole, I don't care. I you don't just care. tell them? I, oh yeah, I tell them. I think, I feel yes. like at that time, I didn't really know who I was properly. Mm. I didn't know what, what do I stand for? I know obviously I was Muslim, but what does that mean for me? And 
having that lack of confidence to stand up for myself really um, portrayed the way I behaved in uni. But now I'm like, I know who I am. I'm strong in my identity. So I can say, no, thank you. I don't want a pint. I want an Earl Grey, please. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And um, also having that confidence and having that identity and knowing who you are, it helped me to, to just, people don't need to, and, and I feel really open. People can come and ask, why don't you drink, you know? Mm. And pe it opens up that door of questioning. And mm. a lot of people are inquisitive about my faith and how do I manage being a rugby, uh, a Muslim player and being a rugby player. Um, it's just opened up those doors for conversation, for those kind of conversations. Do you feel like now that you are more established, that you have more support from your teammates. Yeah, absolutely. I think people respect you if you're true to who you are. Mm -hmm. I think that comes with respect because it's not only, not everyone really knows that. There's a lot of, especially the day of social media, a lot of people maybe trying to be who they're not. Mm -hmm. And for me, I feel like what you see is what you get. Like this is me. I'm the I'm a rugby player, Muslim, whatever. Like this is me, and I wear my heart on my sleeve. And sometimes people are still trying to find that for themselves. When you establish your identity and you're confident with it. You do get respect from people. Mm. Yeah, I'm grateful for the fact that I've actually really, you know, holding on to who I am and mm. I can, you know, I can talk to anyone, you know? We're really grateful too, because mm. you may have started your career at the Trail Finders, but you're now a Trail Blazer. Ooh, I like uh, that. Oh, that's just, that's a little something. You can give the writers credit for that, but uh, I added a little spice to it. But um, you just spoke about being your true self and how going through that university experience kind of helped you form your identity. Why do you think that's important? And what do you think that's doing to influence other young Muslim girls all across this country and around the world who never thought they could play a sport like rugby? Yeah. And I think it's absolutely important. And I don't take for granted the position I'm in. Mm. And actually there was a point where I thought I was literally the only Muslim woman that played rugby in the world. <laughs> in the world. Can you imagine how lonely and isolated that must have felt. Was that due to a lack of representation, do you think? Yeah, I didn't see anyone left and right. And you have to remember, I was the only black girl on my team for some mm. time. On top of that, the only Muslim girl. On top of that, probably the only one that didn't drink. So there were so many, like, you can come at me with all angles. On top of that, being a female within a male-dominated sport as well. I think being in this space and being a Muslim woman with this space, I don't take for granted. I think, yeah, I think it's a privilege, you know, because actually, like you said, uh, sort of a trailblazer. But I don't really look at it. I'm just playing rugby and I'm just loving it. And if I happen to be of this identity and doing something that I love, and I'm hoping that I'm inspiring people because I guess that's what I would really want. But yeah, and I've actually gotten messages of people, like I remember this Muslim father who reached out to me through social media. Do you know what? I've just seen you on the TV and I've got two Muslim girls, two mm. young girls, and seeing what you've said and what you're doing within rugby and within your sport, it made me feel so happy that my girls have that to look up to, or have you to, as a role model for them. And I'm like, whoa, like you wouldn't That's think amazing. that, you know, it was such a beautiful comment and it was like, he literally said, you've made every Muslim parent proud. Whoa. And I'm just like, what the hell? Like, this, to get this kind of comment was just, just mind-blowing. I'm like, I'm just playing rugby and enjoying it, you know? And, <laughs> but, you know. but it's the truth, though. And I know you say you're just, you're just playing rugby, but by doing that, you're representing and inspiring so many uh, Muslim girls. And I actually want to ask you, hmm. with the challenges that you faced uh, being a Muslim woman in sport, how do you think we get more Muslim women into sport, not just rugby, sport mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I think there's quite a few different things, but we obviously talked about visibility is the main thing. And mm -hmm. we often hear the word, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Mm -hmm. So for me, not seeing any other Muslim girls or Muslim women that played rugby, it did sort of make me feel, oh, maybe I don't belong in this space. So if you, there are, you know, getting that message out there that we are there and, you know, there's people like us that play sport out there. So getting them projected on the screens, giving them airtime, putting them on podcasts, letting people mm. know about them. So getting that visibility out there. And then on top of that accessibility, I think it's a massive one that sometimes I guess could be overlooked. You have to remember that Muslim women and Muslim girls, we have different sort of ways to be accommodated. For example, a lot of Muslim women want to play sports behind closed doors. Yes. So maybe in, like in a sports hall where um, not many people can just walk in and out, you know? So having facilities available to them. And then things like clothing, you know, uh, for me, I wear sort of my under layers, I wear my headscarf, play rugby, and I visibly look different on the pitch. Mm. So making sure they have clothing that are accessible for Muslim women and uh, that accommodate their needs. Um, and then also things, because sometimes we, we talk about, you know, clothing and facilities, but prayer spaces. Wow. That is a whole... This season, I made it my mission to... to um, make sure I have a, space, a prayer space in every um, fixture that I go to. How do you go about doing that? I just spoke to, we have this young lady, um, Kappa, who's literally the anchor of, of Richmond women, who's amazing. <laughs> I said, listen, uh, Kappa, obviously you know of my faith and there's a lot of things that I may need. I'm not trying to be like a sport brat, but it's certain things that mm. I, will help accommodate me. And I want to be so, I need to be authentic in the way that I do things because I, rem I have in the back of my mind that the path that I lead, I need to make it easier for the next Muslim woman to, to, lead, to go through that path. So th little things, not even little, but prayer space is a massive, like prayer is a massive pillar of our, of, our, um, of our faith. So making sure that I had a prayer space at Richmond and any other club that I go to. So now actually, if I was to leave Richmond and another Muslim woman was to come, they can say that they have a prayer space because I've made that request and now they've accommodated for that. Do you know mm. what I mean? So it's about leaving the sport or leaving the path that I've led in a better space for someone else. And then I think culturally, having those people within the household to encourage them. Mm. For example, for me, I always harp on about it. He's, he's different now. My father initially wasn't too keen on okay. me playing rugby. He thought of rugby as a male sport. Like, mm. rugby's for men. Why do you want to play rugby? He was like, why don't you go play tennis? And I'm like, tennis? I do not want to play tennis. And do you know what, actually, when I think about it, I think if it wasn't for Serena and Venus Williams... Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, if Serena and Venus Williams weren't playing tennis, he wouldn't have said tennis. So that's where representation comes in. There is the power of Exactly, because I, I, I genuinely believe if there wasn't black people in yeah. tennis, he wouldn't tell me to go and play tennis. Because yes. to be fair, tennis is an elite sport too. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, so that's how you know there's a power of representation. That's so awesome. Um, I guess going deeper into rugby and more about Ramadan, you're someone that needs to keep yourself in peak physical shape mm -hmm. whenever um, during the month of Ramadan. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about how you find the fast impacts your training mm -hmm. And how do you balance your nutrition and still trying to be an elite rugby player? So I think um, we just finished the season and Ramadan well starts. So I've, I predict next year I probably would have to be fasting during playing. Okay. Um, but in terms of training, I have I do fast um, whilst training. So break fast is probably around 
after seven towards eight, we start rugby training at seven o'clock. So I, I probably fast whilst training for about 45 minutes mm. before I break the fast. And obviously rugby is a high intensity sport um, and training is too. But I think the thing is, I always make sure my coaches and my people around me are aware that I'm fasting. So if I do feel like I need to sit down or I do need to sort of take a break, they are aware so of that. So they facilitate you. They facilitate. So I think you really need to tell people around you what's going on because if you don't, how can they help you? And they can sort of make allowances for you. Yes. I try to sort of lay off the high intensity training during the day. So if I do like weight session or gym session, I try to do it closer to the time I break my fast or even after I break my fast. Mm. Um, just so it's, you know, I try to work smarter, not harder. Amen. <laughs> <Thank laughs> you know, there's no point in doing, going out for a 5K run in the middle of the day when it's like you're fasting. Fast enough, Ramadan running. Running is a massive part of many Muslims' fitness routine, mm -hmm. especially during the month of Ramadan. Yes. You just mentioned about uh, training safely during mm -hmm. the month of Ramadan, so you lay away from the intense yeah. uh, stuff as much as you can while you're fasting. I wonder, do you have any pro tips to some of our Muslim listeners who are fasting, who want to engage in running during this month? Yeah, I mean, I think, because I'm not like a seasoned runner. Like I run obviously on a rugby pitch with a ball in hand, etc. but mm -hmm. I wouldn't call myself a runner, yeah. But I think generally running is running. And I think for me personally, I would like to run, like I mentioned, closer to the time of breaking fast. But that's if you smart. want to do like a light jog, yeah. then that's okay, you know? Um, so keep it light. Keep it light. Yeah. And I think listen to your body is the biggest yes. thing because your body, you know your body more than you know, anyone else. And if you feel like you need to take a break, you feel like you need to reduce that intensity, then do it. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, one thing that has helped me, which is a bit different, um, which will become or what the Muslim community will know about, is making ablution. Mm. We make ablution, obviously, every time before we pray. And for me, I find out making ablution, which is basically, basically like a wash. Yes. You know, you wash certain parts of your body with water. Although you're not going to drink the water, having that water on your skin, especially if you're fasting and the, the weather is hot, it helps my skin to sort of feel cool. Mm. So I usually try to make ablution before I partake in any sort of physical activity. So I think that's one of my top tips that I use, which is a bit different from no, all the other sort of an, advice. That's an awesome tip. Yeah. No, thank you. Well, pro tip, you've heard it here <laughs> first from yeah. uh, Zainab. Well, you've picked up a nickname, mm -hmm. The Bulldozer. The Bulldozer. I've been on YouTube and I've watched a quick, you know, bit of your highlights and I feel like I know why you're called the bulldozer. <laughs> For our listening audience, why don't you break it down and let them know yes. why you are the bulldozer? Well, I'm going to surprise you here, actually. <laughs> so the original name, right, was a, a setup. It's a play. So back in one of my old uh, earlier teams, we had this play where number eight would pick up at the back of the scrum, which is like sort of a, a set play within rugby. So. Yeah. Number eight picks up the base of the scrum and runs straight into the number 10. That move was called a bulldozer. And because okay. I was a number eight doing that move, I was, okay. you know. But what is a bulldozer? When you, when you want to break stuff down, you okay. bring in the bulldozer. Okay, right. And that's so, what I assume. We need to break them down, bring in the bulldozer. Right, exactly. So <laughs> bulldozers are the construction th uh, equipment that smashes and demolishes buildings, etc. right? So, but for me, my perspective of the bulldozer is the fact that I'm a black 
Muslim women within rugby. Wow. I am breaking stereotypes. I'm smashing down barriers. That is so So awesome. that is why I'm a bulldozer, okay? I love but that. I don't tell <laughs> the opposition that because that seems a bit soft. One thing I'm picking up from you is that you are very mentally strong. And I feel that's probably a position that you've had, you've had to be that way to succeed mm -hmm. in um, this sport. Could you talk a bit about your mental preparation mm -hmm. for training and uh, playing games? And I'm going to skew this, especially during the month of Ramadan. I've always been sort of known as a fighter, if that makes sense, but not in like the physical sense, but like if I want something and I, want, I need to train for it, I need to train my mind for it, I just sort of do it. Mm -hmm. And I think little things like um, affirmations and saying that you've got this, you're going to do it, Speaking to yourself mentally, I feel like does help. Mm. And, you know, going back to Ramadan, I feel like a lot of it is mental. Because when you sit down and you tell someone, don't eat for 16 hours, they're going to be like, what the hell are you talking mm. about? Do you know what I mean? But if you prep your mind and like, Ramadan starts tomorrow, for example, mm. I'm not going to eat, I'm going to be able to do it. All of a sudden, it's like you've prepared your mind, so your body just automatically follows that. Yes. So a lot of things is about the mind. Um, and I think it's just talking to yourself and, you know, reframing and re-registering your mind that like, this is what you're getting yourself into. Be prepared. Yes, yeah. yes. I was wondering if we can speak some more about the projects and initiatives you're involved with off the pitch. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about Studs in the Mud, which is another really cool name. Did you come up with that name yourself? No, it was oh. a teammate, a teammate. Because okay. I, I, I put feelers out. Yeah. Please help me pick a name for this project. And someone said, that. I'm like, oh, I like that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Studs in the Mud yeah. is a uh, initiative that you started and it's all about rugby development in Ghana. Yes. Tell me about the work there. What is yeah. that about? So I was actually on maternity leave mm. after having my second child. And, you know, you go through a phase where you're just like random crazy ideas come to your mind. I want to change the world, you know. <laughs> it's probably all the like um, the hormones and stuff. But anyway, so I was like, this is what I want to do. And I wanted to use my passion to, to impact people, not just in the UK, but abroad. And I thought, why don't I start in Ghana with some Ghanaian heritage? Do does rugby even exist in Ghana? I had no idea. So I just went on a little search and I found, oh, rugby does exist, but it's still sort of a new sport. Studs in the Mud, I created essentially to use my passion as a tool to change people's life for the better, but namely women and children. Mm. Um, and so I went out there. What I did actually before I went is I put out a GoFundMe page. I'm going to Ghana. I'm going to meet young women, kids, children. I need some stuff to take out there. So people donated from different parts, different rugby clubs, different areas. My University of Hertfordshire, they, they donated to, oh, wow. um, like my rugby clubs, a lot of people donated. So boots, bibs, balls, everything you need to play rugby, shipped it to Ghana, went over to Ghana, met these kids, saw them play in schools. They were playing rugby on concrete. Wow. Yeah, I was like, listen, you need to stop this right now. I cannot <laughs> watch. Do you know what I mean? So even like the way they were just had passion and, you know, running around with the rugby ball, they're just having a lot of fun. And these are the, the young... Um... And, and did, did they know the rules? Were they familiar with the game? Have they yeah. watched yeah. Uh, the World Cup? Is it... Is it is... So, yeah, so they have like um, a Ghana Rugby Association and they have um, the lights of getting to rugby programmes. So mm. they go into the schools and they teach the young kids rugby. Um, so this lady that I met out there, Rafatu Inisa, who, who's on the Ghana committee board, she was sort of going out and delivering this programme. So I went out with her to meet the children and the, the girls. And, you know, giving them a pair of boots that were like cost 20 quid, 
if you see their faces, wow. oh my god, like as if you know Christmas has come or so, Eid, shall I say? So that's the impact. <laughs> that's yeah, the impact. They were so like happy, like I've got a new pair of boots. They were all like, wow, oh, like, these just cost twenty quid, you know, and that's just boots. And obviously they had balls and etc. Other things. And I thought, just seeing the the way they they accepted the boots and the smiles on their faces made me realise that. This is what I want to do. Like yeah. I want to use what I love to make other people You're happy, and that's basically impact. what I wanted to do. Yeah. What are some future goals you maybe have for that project? So I would love to sort of open a centre out there in Ghana, wow. um, specifically, uh, you know, for the community. So they go there, they they play rugby, other sports as well. They have clean water. They have um, something warm to eat. Just like a really, you know, how we have like rugby clubs here, something like that there, basically, mm -hmm. for the community to sort of enjoy and a safe space for the women out there. Um, and the children. So just, you know, an all-round community hub, basically, but using rugby to power that. You're a trailblazer in top-level sport as a Muslim woman. You're a mother of three, and now you're also involved in a lot of charity work. Do you ever feel overwhelmed with the amount of stuff you're doing? Um, I like to say if I'm just sort of winging it, actually. <laughs> That's what, that and makes I, two of us. Yeah, and also, if you stop and think about it, it will just consume me. So just keep going, really. So your way of dealing with, I guess, the feeling of being overwhelmed is by not focusing on it. You're just in the zone. You're, just, you're very present. You're focused on what's in front of you. Yeah. And, and I want to talk about what's in front of you because the big dream, the vision is to represent England, to be the first black Muslim woman to ever put on that white shirt yeah. and represent England. Oh Talk to me about, oh, I can see I that. I know, when you oh, said that, yeah, I'm just yeah, getting tingles it. in my spine. What, yeah. what, what, what number uh, do you visualise yourself wearing? And I want to talk about the visualisation because you showed me your phone yes, before yes. we started this interview. Yeah, yeah. And you've got a really cool picture, a graphic of you yeah. wearing that England yeah, shirt. Yeah. Is, are you big into visualisation and manifesting yeah. your goals? Talk to me about the England dream. Where did that come from? Okay. Where's the desire and what's keeping you going? Because okay. you've already got so much, you're already successful. I know, I know. Why more? Um, but the more is not for me. Like this more is for people that have a dream that are too scared to admit to themselves they had a dream and wow. too scared to go for that dream. Wow. For people that felt like they never fit, fitted in in a space. For people who um, just didn't sort of believe that they had what it take it takes to to achieve what they want really so it's bigger than me it's mm. bigger than me it's not about me really it's not even about rugby actually I think this dream transcends rugby but obviously I'm using rugby to make a, a valid point and everything that I'm trying to do um like you know with my charity work with with just trying to get more representation or whatever I feel like getting that England getting in that English shirt and making that dream come true will literally amount to everything that I'm trying to do. And the impact that I'm trying to have will, will be had at that moment. So I'll tell you how this sort of England dream came about. I had a vision. Wow. That one day... That's all <laughs> I'm right. starting to sound like Martin Luther King. But I had a vision. <laughs> I have that... a dream. That's all right. We can all have dreams. But it was like, I wanted to, to sort of sit down with a cup of Earl Grey. You know, I told you that the tea is a big part of the dream. So yes. to sit down with a cup of Earl Grey in hand, because I love Earl Grey, to be watching England women play and to see a Muslim woman a part of that lineup. That was what my vision was. Like, I would really love to see that, you know? I'd really love to see it. So that was just it. So that's where the illustration came in. So I got somebody to um, make that graphic for me. It wasn't meant to be me. It was just meant to be a Muslim woman of ethnic minority in an England kit. That's what it was. 
obviously during the pandemic, working in the NHS as a neonatal nurse, there's a lot of things that I came across and uh, there came to a point where actually, where I was looking, because I work in neonatal units, so I was looking after premature babies who were essentially born early mm. because their mother had COVID. So it had to be um, come into the world through cesarean section. So upstairs will be the mother on, you know, ventilated, touch and go. We don't know if she's going to make it or not. And I'm here downstairs looking after this baby that was born early, not knowing if the mother was going to be alive by the end of the shift. And that was just one, that's not just one isolated incident. It was happening quite a bit. And it just put into perspective how precious life is and life is too short and anything can happen at any given time. So I just thought to myself, I need, uh, what can I do to just really leave a legacy and really impact the world or leave the world in a better place that I left it in? I thought rugby is my passion, but I need to stick it up a level. And actually, that vision that I had, do you know what? I'm, that's going to be me. I'm, I'm going to be that woman. And, and why not you? Yeah, and I thought, I'm already within the rugby space. How long is it going to take for me to wait for someone to come into that space to do it? I've already loved rugby. It's my passion. And I just took the leap of faith. And I said to my manager, I, I want to put my career on hold. This was in the middle of the pandemic. While everyone was clapping for us, I was like, I'm going to... <laughs> Thank you, I, but I'm I, done. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, follow my dreams. And I did. And it was probably the most scariest decision, but I made it. And it's probably the best decision I've made in my life today. Because the impact, I feel... I know people will be like, oh, but as a nurse, you made so much impact, you touch people's lives. But this one, I feel like I'm also doing it, but just in a different way. That's wonderful, that's wonderful. I just want to throw two quick uh, ones at you. You did mention you have an upcoming documentary um, uh, talking about your story. Do you want to just touch on that real quick? No Woman, No Try yes. is a documentary. He's out now on Amazon Prime. Um, it was directed by a friend and a teammate, Victoria Rush, and features me inside along other inspirational women. Mm. And it's basically about looking at the state of play within women's rugby and women's sport. So it doesn't just appeal to people within rugby, but people within sport. But actually, he transcends that women in general, because a lot of things in that, 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 that you know, comes together. And that is basically essentially what I'm trying. That's the message. Like, people to look at me and be like, if Z can do it, then I can do it. If Z can do it, then I can do it. I love that. And here, we just like to end with a little bit of fun. So finally, Zainab, who would be your ideal dinner guest? for the iftar? Oh, do you know who I think it would be? I would love to be is Ibtihaj Mohammed. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the Muslim American fencer. Fencer, she, was, she made history being the first, um, you know, hijabi woman to, to win a medal, um, Olympic medal at fencing. And I think she's just super cool and I love her story. And I kind of felt like her being present in her space allowed me to feel like I can confidently be present in my space. So yeah, if you listen to this, Ibtihaj, come round for Iftar and uh, we'll sort you out. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Um, I've loved this conversation Me today, uh, Zainab. Thank you very much for your time. Fast enough, Ramadan running. Thank you for listening. Make sure you check out the other episodes in this series as we'll be dropping more interviews every week throughout Ramadan. Click subscribe or follow wherever it is you're listening to this show and I'll make sure that when the next show is available, you'll know about it. Also, you can follow Sports Direct on Instagram using the handle at Sports Direct UK and on TikTok with at Sports Direct for more great tips and insights into training during Ramadan. We'll see you next time. Fast enough. Fast enough. Ramadan running.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.